This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. I'm David Brandt, Web Managing Editor for the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers. And today we're talking about PE licensures, facts, myths, and other details. Joining me today is Caitlin Kinney and Amy Greer. Caitlin is a systems engineer with International Systems Management Corporation. She's a licensed professional engineer in Maryland and Illinois and works as a systems engineering contractor for the U.S. Navy. She's also a member of IISE, CIS, and NCEES as a volunteer promoting licensure of all industrial and systems engineers. Amy Greer has a bachelor's and master's in industrial engineering along with her professional engineering license. Amy has been doing simulation consulting since 2004 in a variety of industries, including healthcare, manufacturing, distribution, supply chain, and hospitality. She is currently a principal simulation consultant for Mosum Tech and previously worked for the American Red Cross and Trans Systems. Caitlin and Amy, I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. So let's talk a little bit about PE licenses. I know only so much through the work I've done here with IISE. I know that when I see a PE at the end of someone's name, I know that is serious business, if you will. Um, for our younger members or students and uh, young professionals, let's start out talking about really just what they need to know in terms of basics. Explain what a PE license is and what it means for an engineer's career. PE license is basically the highest professional achievement that you can achieve. So in academia, it's your PhD. Um, but from a professional standpoint, uh, becoming licensed is kind of the highest, highest honor, right? Um, and basically, all that means is that you uh, have demonstrated a minimum standard of care um, and that you take an, an oath, an ethical oath to protect the health and safety of the public. So in order to become licensed, um, each state has slightly different rules. However, generally, they require you to have four years of engineering experience, as well as pass two uh, professional exams, including the fundamentals of engineering exam and the professional engineering or PE exam. Caitlin's talking about this is the highest designation you can achieve. We've all been around people that say, well, well, my degree was in this, but I'm really an engineer or, um, well, I was this by training, but I'm this by practice. When you have that P at the end of your name, I think it really says, no, I I am an engineer in every way, shape, and form. I am qualified. I am competent. It's really the best way to say, I am a real engineer. It's really analogous to seeing an MD at the end of someone's name, which we are all familiar with because I think everyone's been to the doctor at some point. And I think that's that PE is the analogy for the engineering profession. So how does this stand out then between, say, a certification or like a Lean Six Sigma belt of any kind? I think with a certification, there's really not a lot of regulation. I could set up a business tomorrow certifying people in, in Lean or simulation. There's really not a lot of regulation around that. A PE license is regulated where you have to you know, by state standards, meet certain educational, professional work experience, ethical standards. There is a mechanism if someone believes you're acting unethically, there's mechanisms to go through where the state would investigate that. Don't mean to make that sound scary because as long as you're behaving professionally and ethically and, and competently, you're going to be fine. But I think that's the difference between a certification and a license is that there is a lot more rigor behind a license um, and there's actually 
actually regulations that ensure that it does mean something and it's not just a piece of paper. Yeah. And I'll just add to that too. One of the common myths that we kind of combat is that people often ask, you know, should I get my Lean Six Sigma certification or should I get licensed? And it's not an either or. It really depends on your professional goals, your career path. Um, Maybe your employer is offering some sort of certification or training. But just because you have one doesn't mean that you can't have both. Uh, they serve two different purposes. And so uh, we encourage folks, especially if they're questioning whether or not they should get either or, we encourage them to consider both because, uh, again, it's they're, they're two separate things. Full disclosure, I am not a black belt, but everyone I know that has the parallel PE license and a black belt or PE and a PMP certification, they generally tell me that, you know, once I got my PE license and I studied for that, all the other certifications were fairly easy. So that the PE license, in my understanding, and Caitlin, I, I think you might have multiple certifications But in my understanding, people who say, oh, I got my PE license in industrial engineering are able to pick up those other certifications uh, fairly easily. I don't know if that's your experience, Caitlin. Yeah. So I'm a PMP through the uh, Project Management Institute, and I'm kind of pursuing a couple of different other certifications as well. Um, I work almost daily right now with a couple of black belts as well. And so there's definitely a lot of overlap and a lot of crossover. And that's why, again, um, it's not it shouldn't really be either or. Uh, We encourage folks that if you're considering one, um, you consider both. What about in regards to a PhD? I mean, a PhD and a PE, I see either one one at the end of somebody's name, you know, I think, you know, well-established, credentialed. Is there a significant difference or is there any kind of advantage to having uh, one versus the other? Yeah. So again, it's just a matter of your career path and your individual goals. So I myself am actually starting my PhD here this week, but I'm also a PE. Uh, so you can certainly be both. Um, for me personally, the PE is um, is that license that allows me to practice engineering in the state in which I'm working in versus my PhD is, uh, you know, focusing on some research uh, areas of interest related to ISE that I'd like to help contribute to the profession in that way. So you can certainly pursue both. In fact, we have uh, a number of colleagues who are also PEs and PhDs who volunteer with us through NCES as well. Yeah. And I think when the, the PhDs that we see you know, the professors that have taken the academic track that are also licensed uh, in professional engineering are also the ones that tend to maybe do consulting in addition to their academic commitments. Keep in mind that most states have laws that say you can't go out and market engineering services unless you have a PE license. So I can't just throw up a web page and say, oh, I'm offering industrial engineering consulting today. You really in most states would legally need to have a PE license to do that. So I think for professors who might have an interest in doing occasional consulting, it's really legally a must-have. And then I think, Caitlin, were you possibly telling me an example of a grant situation where the the grant provider was looking for an actual PE license or... Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) actually, no, that's a really good point. So we have been doing PE interviews for the ISE magazine where we get real stories from real PEs um, working in in industry. And so one of the individuals that we interviewed, basically, he had applied for a research grant. I believe it was with the Department of Agriculture. And they requested that he have a PE and that his PE would 
uh, that he would sign off on this individual report. Again, it was a credential that they recognized and they wanted for this particular project. They felt it was important specifically to have a PE on that project. And so it was one of the the requirements for the grant for the applicants was that they would have a PE on their team. Okay. Explain to me a little bit more about what an engineer has to do to earn a PE license. Is there sort of a recommended study step series? Is there uh, certain things that you have to achieve before actually taking the exam for the PE license? What are the general steps? Well, you're going to hear us say it varies by state a lot. And it does. Every state has the, the right to kind of have their own process and they do. But in general, there's a lot of similarity. It's typically a a four-year undergraduate degree and then the Fundamentals of Engineering exam, which is currently industrial engineering focused. I know that FE exam, also sometimes called the EIT exam, used to cover all of basic general engineering, just half of it focusing on industrial engineering. But it's it's changed in the last few years and it's now industrial engineering focused. So it's your undergraduate degree, an FE exam, four years of work experience, and then the professional engineering exam. And it doesn't always have to go in that order. You can get your four years of work experience and then take your two exams back to back. A lot of states have waivers for work experience. So if you have 10, 15, 20 years of work experience, they might waive that FE exam. I was first licensed in the state of Tennessee and they would count a, I think it was a master's degree or co-op experience could count as one of your four years of work experience. Uh, So it, it really varies quite a bit state by state. But I think the key is generally an engineering degree, two exams, four years of work experience, and then the application process where they're asking for references. And I think really what they're checking for there is just wanting to make sure that they're licensing ethical people who will do the right thing when push comes to shove. But your degree doesn't have to be necessarily in industrial or systems engineering. Is that correct? Correct. I think it may vary by state, uh, but in general, it's an engineering degree from an ABET accredited university or equivalent. Um, And I think even in some states, they'll even waive the entire degree. Or if you didn't go to an ABET accredited university, I think there's some, you know, equivalency checks that they'll do. Yeah. So um, right now there are, I believe, 13 states that license by discipline. California is the first one that comes to mind. So if you apply for a PE license in California, you apply by discipline, which in that state, they require you to have a degree in that discipline. But Amy's correct. In most states, it generally just requires you to have an engineering degree. So for example, if I had my my undergraduate is an industrial, but if my undergraduate, let's say, was in mechanical, but I really was doing industrial engineering most of my career, I could apply to take the ISE PE exam uh, and then become licensed that way. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more on the career front. Which industries can we find PEs working in typically? Wow. Well, just like ISEs, right? We're kind of chameleons uh, and we end up in all different industries. I myself, I work in defense. I've supported the Navy, the Coast Guard and the Army. And I've worked with PEs throughout all of those. Other areas included uh, might be healthcare. So I actually recently was talking to a couple of engineers who are working in healthcare who became licensed and are encouraging their colleagues to become licensed. And again, it's highly recognized amongst their peers who aren't necessarily engineers, but they understand what a license is, especially if you're coming, you know, if you're a doctor or things like that, you're 
exposed to the same kind of level of rigor and requirements that a PE license also provides. Some other areas. Uh, so I know that Amy works in uh, modeling and simulation. And so, Amy, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about your industry. Yeah, I would just say any um, any industrial engineer that's going to be working across multiple disciplines, whether it's engineering disciplines or even outside of engineering, is going to really benefit from a PE license. You know, I've had situations uh, about a year ago, I met a gentleman on a plane and turned out he worked for a company that uh did a lot of railroad design, so a lot of civil engineers. And I went to their office just to talk to them about how we could use modeling and simulation. And I feel really confident that having the PE designation, just it, it just breaks the ice and you can get down to business faster because I'm in a room full of civil engineers and they see that license and they're instantly like, okay, she knows what she's talking about. So I think anytime you're going to go across disciplines, it just helps break the ice. It helps you get down to business faster. You don't waste the first 20% of a project trying to prove yourself because everybody knows what level you're on and you can you can really accomplish a lot more once you have that PE at the end of your name. So when you do have that PE, is it fair to say that's a really genuine confidence booster going forward? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think for me, not only was it, you know, a confidence booster, but it helped me, I think, become a better engineer. The process of studying um, after a few years out of school, there were a lot of things that I was just able to say, okay, I'm connecting those dots of what we learned in school and what you see in real life. There is some continuing education requirements requirements that I think just keep me focused, you know, every year towards the end of the year, I'm stepping back and saying, you know, what, what have I really done to enhance myself? You know, what am I looking at in terms of continuing education? It is a confidence booster, but I think it's, it's legitimate confidence booster because I think not only does a PE license say that you're a qualified engineer, but it actually makes you a better engineer just through the process of continuing education. So in that scenario that you described, you're a PE going into a room with other engineers. To your point, you don't have to go back and look at a lot of pre-work or pre-discussion. They know that you know what you're doing. What about if you're an engineer at a company that has no PEs? What's the advantages or the value of becoming maybe the first PE at your company? So I have a little bit of experience with this. Um, the company I'm currently at, uh, I believe I'm the only PE, or at least I'm the only PE in the in my group of individuals. Amy's right. It's a universally recognized standard. So even though I'm not necessarily working with PEs, my employer recognizes the importance of that and uh, the value of that. And so particularly in working in government contracts, it's a highly desired uh, credential. And so, you know, we can use that to kind of leverage, uh, you know, to try to win contracts or bring in more work um, for the business. And so they definitely recognize the value of that. Yeah, I was, um, when I received my PE license, I was actually working for an A&E firm. So I was not the first PE by a long shot. In fact, the majority of the company had their PE license. But within my simulation group, which is about a dozen people, I was the first. And I, I feel like there was a little bit of eye rolling, like, oh, why is Amy getting her PE license? That seems like a bit of a waste. Uh, but that didn't last too long. I, I think within a few months of getting my PE license, people outside of our simulation group were saying things like, oh, we'd really like someone with a PE license to kind of review this engineering uh, economy formula for us. So it definitely benefited me very quickly to have that license. And uh, 
um, I think other people outside of the group after I got it kind of saw the benefit. Uh, we've already scratched the surface of this next question a little bit, but I was wondering if you could elaborate on advantages and if any disadvantages in having the license. Doesn't sound like there would be any disadvantages, but you're going to know better than I. So <laughs> I figured I would ask. Caitlin, you want to go ahead and take this one? Sure. So in terms of advantages, you're right, we have scratched the surface. But uh, for me, when I got my PE, I was working with non-industrial engineers. I was working with a lot of mechanicals and electricals, and they didn't really understand what industrial engineering was. They knew that I was you know, pretty sharp and that I could pretty much handle anything they threw at me, but they didn't really understand my skill set and the tools that I could bring to their problem solving. And it wasn't until I decided to pursue the PE and kind of explain to them what my PE path would look like, what was on my exam, what things were covered, that they really started to get a good understanding of what I could bring bring to the table. And so I, I'm sure that uh, like a lot of us, I heard the term imaginary engineer a lot. Uh, and I you know, got asked, why, why didn't I get a real engineering degree? And so getting that PE kind of made all of that stop. Um, there was suddenly this great understanding of um, what industrial engineering was and how that could be valuable to their organization and to the projects that I was working on. So it sort of empowered your choice in terms of your engineering profession. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I wouldn't trade what I do for the world. I love what I do. But there's definitely, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working with generally more senior individuals who may not have been exposed to industrial engineering during their career. And I may be the first industrial engineer that they're talking to. Being able to walk in that room and have, you know, those letters after my name, it's kind of an instant credibility. I don't have to fight as much to prove myself or, you know, to prove to them what value I can add to their projects. It's kind of generally understood that by becoming licensed, I've achieved this level of standard. And therefore, you know, I'll provide the same level of value as any other PE, regardless of my engineering background. And I think the term imaginary engineering, although I, I haven't heard that in a while, but yes, when I was younger, when I was in school, I would hear that quite a bit. And I never understood it because when I looked at the courses an IE would take, there's quite a bit of mathematical rigor, particularly when I think about, you know, the operations research, optimization type courses. Obviously, my career path has taken me into computer simulation modeling. Uh, we're building a lot of computer programs and doing a lot in the OR space. But then the the statistics of quality programs. So I never really understood where this phrase imaginary engineering came from. But for me, then when I got out in the workforce, I saw in industrial engineering, I think we're probably worse than any other discipline in allowing people to call themselves IEs when they're not. I think there's a lot of people that have just done a lot of kind of general process improvement type work, and then they'll just call themselves an IE. Um, so for me, I think it was distinguishing myself from, you know, this is someone who has the full breadth and depth of the IE toolkit versus someone who's maybe dabbled in some process improvement and just calls themselves an IE. So I think the, the credibility is huge. Um, and like Caitlin says, people understanding that, no, I, I'm an actual engineer. I'm not just someone who calls myself an engineer. I think that's been the biggest advantage of, of getting the license.
you're both young professionals or maybe young professional to mid career at this point. And if I'm wrong, please tell me, but I'm fairly certain I'm right. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask, is there a particular point in an IE's career in which they should be seeking out earning a PE license? Or is it a decision for any point in a career? <laughs> Can I, so you're going to do that? Oh, go ahead. Caitlin. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I would just say that it's really up to the individual um, and their career path. I have spoken with students who decided, you know, right off the bat, their senior year of college, they were going to sit for their FE exam. Um, because all of those st- good study habits were still fresh in their head and they felt like they had a good grasp of the material and they wanted to get that ball rolling. Um, I recently had the opportunity to interview someone for a forthcoming article in ISE magazine about coming to the PE later in his career. And essentially, he was inspired by a younger colleague who had achieved her PE and he felt that, you know, this was an outstanding goal that he he had never, you know, pursued, but he, it was always in the back of his mind. And so he became licensed, you know, 20 plus years into his career. Um, and again, it's, it's really kind of up to the individual. The best time we tell folks to take that FE exam is their senior year of college. Cause again, everything is still fresh in your head. It's, you know, all those topics, those good study habits, it makes it a little bit easier. However, there's no rules or limitations that say that's when you have to start it or when you have to take it. You know, you can kind of make that decision at any point in time based on your career trajectory and what you really want to do on that career path. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a bad time to do it. We do generally encourage people to do it sooner rather than later because you might as well start reaping the benefits of it as soon as possible. And then just the study habits and setting aside time to do it. So for me, I completed my PE license uh, 12 years ago before the kids came along and and all that craziness started happening. So it it made it easier, I think, to find time to set aside for preparing for the exam. But I could see the other side of it being helpful too. If I were to go through the process right now, I think it would be really beneficial to sit down and and have a massive refresh of, of what did I learn in school. So I could see the benefits of both sides. Me personally, I would say do it as soon as possible. But if you haven't, do it anyway, because uh, you're still going to benefit from it. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about the process by which you become licensed in one state Are you able to work in others based on where you get that license? I know a lot of ISEs now, uh, certainly younger, you know, millennial generation Z, they like flexibility in terms of where they can work and the opportunities that uh, lay before them wherever based on not necessarily near where they went to college. They want to move elsewhere and, you know, have new experiences. Are there any boundaries in terms of like where you get your license versus where you can work? So one of the things about when you have a license, I think particularly in industrial engineering, a lot of industrial engineers are not using their stamp, if you will. So if you're working for, say, a private employer, there's really no limits whether you have a PE license or not. You know, if you're going to offer consulting services, that's probably a little bit of a different story. You would need to be licensed wherever you're offering those consulting services. So I live in Nashville, Tennessee, but if I were to go to Little Rock, Arkansas and try to to market my services there, I would need to be licensed there. But I think, you know, as far as obtaining licenses in multiple states, it's usually not too difficult. You don't have to retake the test. There's usually an application process. But in general, I think it's really not a roadblock to go work from state to state to state. I don't know, Caitlin, I think you're 
you're licensed in multiple states, aren't you? I am. Yeah. So I got my initial license in Illinois. I've never lived in Illinois. I've never worked in Illinois. However, uh, Illinois' uh, requirements allowed me to basically... I met my work experience requirement kind of late in the year, which meant that my home state, Maryland, um, I was already past the deadline to apply for the exam. Uh, So I did some research and figured out I could get it in Illinois. My employer was very supportive. They wanted me to get it as soon as possible. And so I became registered in Illinois. And then once I became registered, I think about six months or a year later, or I applied for uh, reciprocity in Maryland. Uh, So that's how I became licensed in two separate states. In terms of the process itself, it was pretty easy. So NCES has uh, some great tools available. They're free where they will basically store all of your application materials for you and they will handle all the administrative end of your application. So basically, I had a portal. I uploaded you know, all of my work experience. I sent out requests for um, references and things like that. And then NCES basically you know, processed all of that information and sent it to the board of Maryland so that I could apply for a reciprocity license in Maryland. So I live just outside DC. So uh, if I'm uh, offering professional engineering services in DC or Virginia, which is just a few miles down the road from my house, um, I would have to apply for licensure in both of those states. Um, but since I live in Maryland and work mostly in Maryland, that's that's kind of where I'm at. What about internationally? Caitlin, I think NCES helps out in this regard. Yeah. So um, the NCES International Registry for Professional Engineers um, assists U.S.-based professional engineers who are seeking recognition in countries that are members of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation or the International Engineering Alliance. Uh, So that's APEC or IEA. And basically, I believe there's over 30 maybe 35 plus countries that we have agreements with. So for example, if you are licensed in the state of Maryland like me, but let's say maybe I have a consulting job uh, that requires the equivalent of a PE license in England or Australia or uh, Canada, I can basically apply through those international agreements and NCES will help me pursue that in those other places. So I know that we have a couple of other volunteers with us that Amy and I work with through the NCES. They've become licensed or they're in the process of applying for licensure in other countries um, in order to do consulting work, uh, teach classes, things like that. In general, the requirement to apply through that process requires a little bit more years experience. So in the United States, it's typically around four years. Um, If you're applying internationally, it's a little bit more rigorous. They typically require seven years. But again, they try to make that as smooth and as streamlined as possible so that you aren't restricted in your ability to offer engineering services. They try to make that administrative piece pretty easy. In terms of job competition, a PE is a big booster? Would it not be in facing other competitors for a particular position? Yes, I would say so. And and it varies by company or organization or industry. Academia too, right? Oh yeah, definitely. When I went to work for um, the American Red Cross, I remember who was eventually my boss's boss in the interview said, oh, what, is, what does PE stand for? Is that process excellence? So clearly seeing the PE on my resume did not impress her because you know, she didn't know what it meant. I was able to explain it. And I, I think it was helpful. So there are some positions, 
quite frankly, if you have a PE on your resume, it, it may not bring you to the top, but there's a lot that it will. Um, and then I've heard several stories from colleagues that have had similar experiences where once they got into the interview process, they explained it. One of the young men we work with, Brent Fraser, tells the story of, I think he had someone looking for a PMP certification and possibly a black belt certification. And I think he came in and it kind of showed the rigor of the PE license and what it covered. And I think his hiring manager said, okay, well, this makes sense. I, I definitely can use a PE to cover all these other licenses or all these other certifications that I was looking for. So sometimes I think when you have a PE in industrial engineering, you need to do a little self-promotion because it's not that common. I think it's maybe 6% of industrial engineers get their PE license. I, I have to double check that stack. So it's, I think it's a fairly elite group that, that goes after and pursues their PE license. So you're, you're probably going to have to do a little self-promotion with it, but it will definitely pay off, I think, in terms of career advancement. 6% seems like a really small proportion. Is there anything that's overwhelming to a lot of engineers as to getting them to not pursue a PE? What's Why is it only 6%, do you think? I think we have some, um, some groups within the industrial engineering community that just don't know exactly what it is, what the benefits are. I think there's some, you know, some people that proactively say, well, it's it's not worth it. Don't waste your time. We've always been a small group in terms of PE licensure, but I think it's probably gotten a little bit worse as people in the academic community don't pursue theirs. Their first students don't see professors with PE at the end of their name. So I think it's, I think it's just misperceptions about the advantages of it and the disadvantages. I've heard people say things like, well, and you'll probably get to this later, but well, I can't get my PE exam because I've never worked directly under a PE. But for most states, that's actually not a requirement. Um, you need to have letters of recommendation from a licensed professional engineer, but you don't necessarily need to have a licensed professional engineer as your direct supervisor. So I think there's just a lot of misconceptions about the benefits of getting a PE license, what it takes to get a PE license. There's possibly some belief that these tests are impossible to pass and so hard and and they're really not. So yeah, I think that's why the, the numbers are so low. But I think personally, as individuals who get their PE license, you know, those individuals are going to benefit. But then our profession as a whole, I think, would benefit greatly if we got that that percentage up and that number up. I don't know, Caitlin, I know you've given some some presentations on this. Is 6% the right number or is it even lower than that? It might be slightly lower than that. I think the numbers from a, it's from a 2015 study, I believe, um, we had over 200,000 individuals who declared themselves as industrial engineers. The numbers get a little more shaky when you include systems engineers because systems engineering means so many different things, especially depending on what industry you're in. It is pretty low. I mean, in general, we offer the exam, I think, once a year, and we typically have somewhere around 100, 120 people that take that exam. So, you know, and then assuming that most people pass, then again, that's still an even smaller subset that will go on to become fully licensed. So... It's smaller numbers. I think the thing that kind of helps but also hurts a little bit is that most states have an industrial exemption, meaning that if you're working for a company, you don't necessarily need to be individually licensed. And so I think that also precludes people from pursuing licensure in general, not just in, not just for industrial systems engineers. But then I think also too, there's 
it goes back to kind of what Amy said. Uh, there's a lack of understanding of what it really me- means and what it really entails. And there's probably some uh, fear that, you know, it's it's too difficult or it's too hard. I know for me as an undergraduate, I never heard about the PE until I talked to my engineering friend in a different department, um, you know, in another program. I had no idea what it was, um, why it was important, how you would even go about pursuing it. Um, and so my senior year came and went and I had kind of heard of this thing, but it wasn't something that was prominent in my undergraduate studies. I didn't have professors uh, talking about it or um, challenging us to pursue it. And so it wasn't really until I got into into industry and started working that I was working with other in PEs, not necessarily industrial engineers, but PEs, that I realized pretty quickly that if this was the career path that I was going to stay on, it was going to be important and that I would need to pursue it, especially given the fact that I was the only IE for a long time in my group. So it sounds like beyond this podcast episode, there needs to be an awareness campaign of sorts for PE licensing. And that's what Caitlin's working on right now. I know she's had several uh, articles that she's coordinated for the IISE magazine. And uh, we've both been at IISE conference several years in a row with a booth trying to educate people about the the PE license. And I think in Orlando this year, it was really, really productive. I, I just had a really good feeling about a lot of the younger engineers we talked to that came by the booth. So there is definitely a effort underway uh, within the PE community to, to help spread the word. I think if you're a young engineer and you think about it in terms of we're already such a small population of engineering, you know, and we're all competing for the same, you know, few jobs. I think when you think about it in those terms, having another way to differentiate yourself, like, you know, becoming licensed or sitting for your FE upon graduation, I think that really can be beneficial and helpful. Um, you know, even if you decide that maybe the PE down the road isn't isn't for you and you don't fully pursue that, um, keeping that door open and, you know, and pursuing your FE your senior year is, is I think, really helpful to your long-term career planning and goals. Uh, as we draw this to a close, are there any other confusing unknowns or myths that engineers should be aware of in regards to a PE license? I think we touched on it briefly, the, the myth that you have to work directly under a um, a PE. Um, I know in most states you have to get five-ish letters of of recommendation, um, and sometimes a certain number of those need to be a PE license, and a certain number need to be um, previous supervisors. But for me, like they didn't necessarily need to overlap. Um, So I had some uh, professional engineers, a couple of professors that were willing to to write a letter of reference for me, um, even though you know, they had never been my direct supervisor. And one of the things I know I'm willing to do for other engineers, and I think there's a lot of people on the NCWS exam development committee that would be willing to do this as well, is, you know, if there's someone who's wanting to pursue their PE license, I'm more than happy to spend a couple hours of my time. I'd like to review their work, get to know them a little bit better before I would you know, obviously write a letter of recommendation, but I would be willing to review somebody's work in their work history if they could share, you know, hey, tell me a few projects you've done to serve as that reference. So I think there's always avenues 
to get that PE letter of reference if you need it, if you're interested. Caitlin, I don't know if you have any other experience in different states with the misconception of uh, working under a PE. So I, I think you you kind of hit it pretty 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 well. I think I've actually done this a couple times this year. So because we've been doing webinars and articles and stuff, I kind of have that open ended. If you have questions or you're worried about something or you're just not sure where to start, um, please reach out. We're here to help. We want you to become licensed. You know, uh, so if if you have questions about whether or not something might be considered engineering experience, you know, I'm certainly not the authority, but I can offer you my thoughts and my experience, and hopefully give you some some perspective or boundaries uh, to kind of frame that. A perfect example: I had someone who was applying in California, and she was working for a construction company actually as an industrial engineer doing scheduling. And she wasn't sure that her engineering experience write-up sounded engineering enough. Um, she was concerned that it was going to be perceived as administrative. And so she and I had a conversation about what she was doing and kind of how to frame that and, and make it clear to the reader that you know what she's doing is truly industrial and systems engineering. Because that's the other thing too, that when you're applying to a state board, most state boards don't have industrial engineers on the board. So the individual who's reviewing your application may not necessarily know what industrial engineering is. And so if you think about it, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go pull your exam spec to see what types of topics are covered on your exam. So any way that you frame that uh, to make that clear to the reader um, is you know, all that more helpful and will make it easier during your application process. That sounds awfully familiar. When I first started writing for ISE magazine, I wasn't entirely certain I was writing at a level that engineers would be interested in. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I came from newspapers. So having to learn about the profession and simultaneously interview and write about it uh, was proving to be a little challenging to me at first. And I wasn't sure if I was, you know, making the grade, so to speak. And uh, fortunately, readers gave a lot of great feedback and said that, you know, they, they thought my uh, offerings were uh, fascinating and they, they learned from it, which is always the important thing to me in the end. So no, I definitely understand that position. <laughs> Believe me. Caitlin, we've talked a little bit about the writings that have appeared in ISC Magazine uh, from you. You've written in the member forum the last few months. And I know you've got some more ahead. Can you tell us a little bit more about what we can learn in the magazine in the fall and beyond? Yeah. So I think it's really important, especially um, for industrial and systems engineers who are starting out their career to have some concrete examples of what a PE looks like and what that work looks like. Because like we talked about in the very beginning, we're all chameleons and we all come from different backgrounds and we all end up in different different jobs and different areas and different fields. And so I think it's really important to offer all those perspectives right, um, from a professional licensure uh, point of view. And so that folks understand that, you know, PEs aren't just civil engineers. PEs don't just work in construction or build bridges or things like that. They certainly do all those things. But for industrial and systems engineers, a PE might look like someone working on, you know, an ergonomics problem or dealing with human factors or, you know, working in a healthcare system or even working in artificial intelligence, right? So, we kind of span this vast area of all different fields. And so I think it's important that we offer those perspectives and we tell those stories so that when you know, you're know you coming up in your career, or even maybe if you're later in your career, you can see kind of what the benefits are and what those journeys might have looked like. Uh, and it gets you thinking about how you could apply that uh, to your own career path. On that note, 
I want to say thank you to you both. I think our listeners have learned a lot more about PE licenses, uh, certainly how to achieve it, uh, certainly the advantages. And I definitely think they've gotten a lot of great career advice out of this episode. So I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks, David. This has been an episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you're an IISE member, you can participate in discussions about this and other episodes at connect.iise.org. If you're not a member yet, then you can learn all about the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers at our website, iise.org. Thanks for listening to our show. 